Well, thankfully it wasn't too bad, and hopefully it's the last winter storm of the season. We got a recap from Environment Canada on who got the most snow. We had our monthly visit with Premier Heather Stephenson today, talking about a number of things, including the police chief's ask for an urgent meeting on crime. Bob Irving joined us to talk about the Jets, who had a tough loss on Wednesday night, and the Masters. It is here. It's the biggest event in golf, and Bob loves it. And this year, there's some bonus drama at the tournament. And since we're heading into the long weekend, we asked you, what's your favorite Easter candy or chocolate? Your favorite Easter treats? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Loren McNabb and Greg Mackling, who's back on Monday. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, April 6th podcast for The Start. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today, back on Monday, and we're gonna we got to talk a bit about the storm in a moment. But as Skyler was mentioning, Loren, today marks a really sad anniversary in this country. Yeah, I was just going through the Humboldt page for Humboldt, Saskatchewan, and how they've declared today Humboldt Broncos Day because, of course, this is the five year anniversary of that horrific crash and and listening to some of the comments from family members in that newscast with Skylar I remain now as struck as I was then about how so many of those moms and dads and siblings of that lost loved ones on that crash that day are so strong in their faith and and trying to carry things forward right and all the things they're trying to do in the name of their kids so today in Humboldt the bells will toll as Skylar said but they will also um, have videos being playing across their websites they have a, a ceremony at the arena and then tomorrow is a day in commemoration of everything that logan boulet's family has done in terms of the name in the name of organ donation and then earlier this week i was listening to a story read of of a young kid who was hurt in that crash who was paralyzed from the chest down and how what he's doing now he's gone on to play sledge hockey in different sports and now he's working with the rick hansen foundation to try to make all these buildings more accessible in canada because he's come to realize as a wheelchair user just how unaccessible so many places are and so you have all these families um trying to carry on something good out of something so horrific. And, and my only thoughts this morning are just how that lump in my throat when you read the, the number of deaths that day and just the sheer loss for that community, for those families. It's um, I think it will be a day and hopefully a day people never forget in this country. We'll have more on this at 635 and you can read more at cjob.com or globalnews.ca. As far as the the storm is concerned, we still have a whole bunch of highways closed. Uh, highway 3 from Carmen to Highway 18, 13 from Carmen to Elm, Elm Creek, 14 from uh, Highway 3 to 75, 16 from Nipawa to Highway 50. Although last night, Loren, we learned that uh, Highway 16 had reopened between the, the vital trade corridor of Minnedosa and Nipawa. <laughs> so, yes, I was pleased that you pointed that out so that the, 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 the trucks could keep running, you know, the trucks and trains and ships could keep running through that vital corridor. But man, what a, what a bizarre 24 hours because it's not like, you know, from where I was sitting and I only ventured out like within my community, Brad, I didn't go far. You had to come in and out of work, but, um, it wasn't that it was this a crazy blustery day. It was just gross all day long. I can't believe the amount of snow we actually got in the end. It felt like it was a foot in our driveway, but I always say it's a vortex of snow. We seem to get everyone else's snow landing in our driveway. It's well and truly, like to the left and to the right, nobody is out shoveling and we are snow blowing. Like it's ridiculous. But, um, it, it was a bizarre day and those winds continue. And so we have cancellations that continue to come in. We're going to up our website at cjob.com, but Prairie Rose just said no school uh, there. St. River School Division just announced hang on, no hang on. school. Is, did Prairie Rose say, flat out say no school? Oh, well, they did? Yeah. Schools are <clears throat> all closed today. So that's different from what we first started talking about, right? So Prairie Rose School Division, no school. St. River no school again. Um, staff do not report to work there. I'm just double checking Red River Valley because that, of course, is uh, where we saw some the bulk of some of the snow go down. And um, hang on here. DSFM, a whole bunch of schools again. Same, yeah, all not the in same Red schools. River. Yeah. So I, we look like we're in for the same day today as we were yesterday, except for Winnipeg. Poor Winnipeg kids. <laughs> yeah. I think, honestly, 
I think I maybe, maybe had one snow day. And that was probably in 1980, is it 1985 or 86 when there was a massive blizzard? I was eight years old, pretty sure, and I missed, got to miss a day of school in grade three. But that's it. One day in my entire scholastic career. So we're going to get a snowfall update from Environment Canada coming up in our next segment. And let us know what you're seeing out there at 204-780-6868. And we will keep you up to date on what is closed uh, because it looks like that list might be populated, overpopulated quite soon. And then at 7.05, we are going to head south of the border uh, because while the storm has passed, you know, we are curious to know what's coming up the uh, the red yeah, so we know that they were in for what sounded like it was going to be a heavier snowfall. So we're going to check in with the National Weather Service because, of course, uh, we can't say this enough. What falls there all comes here, right? And so what were their snowfall total accumulations? And I'm going to guess that they're going to see that same kind of warm-up that we're going to see, Brett. And so what does that mean for the melt and how it works? Because I'm trying to think right now, and I this is just now me talking out loud with zero science information in my brain, but the ground was still fairly frozen and so when you have this amount of snow, but that warm up like we're supposed to be seeing for Sunday, Monday, um, it doesn't get absorbed into the ground as quickly, right? So does it go more quickly to the rivers? You know, like what, what does it change the melt and how might things might look for the flood outlook, depending on how fast a melt might happen? Yeah, because it was a mess walking home yesterday. Yeah. You know, it was, it, it's been it's been kind of a gross, like sort of ugly Month, but it was a nice dry melt, and uh, for the most part, and and now with the temperatures forecast into the double digits next week, we were hoping for the the initial forecast earlier this week was calling for double digits potentially this weekend, but that's not going to happen. But by the looks of middle of next week, we can be at a double digits, so uh, could be a messy few days, messy couple of weeks in Winnipeg and southern Manitoba. But we're going to get some more information on just what did that storm gift us with environment canada joins us next rose carlson joins us from environment canada once again good morning rose good morning so which areas got the most snow uh so certainly our highest report is uh we got uh, 25 centimeters of snow out in pinawa and then also uh, another 24 centimeters of snow down in uh, gardenton manitoba um, for the most part, throughout the city of Winnipeg itself, uh, we uh, ranged anywhere from about uh, 12 to 18 uh, centimeters uh, throughout the city, so about an average of 15, um, and then uh, uh, less amounts as you go farther west into Manitoba. So it, it, the winter storm warning has ended, but is there a but in there, Rose, in terms of what we could still see throughout the day? Uh, it, it should be just steadily improving conditions uh, throughout the day. Um, the winds are still a little gusty this morning in uh, Manitoba, but we're expecting those winds to ease through the day, and then any sort of blowing snow that's still remaining uh, will also diminish along with those winds in the this morning the uh, morning hours. So we are expecting, we were hoping for double digits this weekend. Uh, I see that you've since dialed back that forecast to two degrees on Saturday and three on Sunday, but when are we expecting the warm-up to come? Uh, we're expecting the warm-up to start uh, coming into real effect uh, next week. Um, I know the long-range forecast right now has, uh, what does it have for, for Winnipeg? Um, we've got uh, a high of 18 on Tuesday. Um, and I would, I, I would, again, would take that with a grain of salt um, because there is a, a lot of uh, snow on the ground. We have, a lot of, uh, uh, we have a lot of ground to cover. We are cooler than normal. And our long-range forecasts are uh, generally a combination of uh, what's happening now, climatology, and what uh, guidance kind of expects to happen in the future. Um, because we are so cool now and we have all this snow on the ground, that's uh, going to take quite a bit to, to melt and uh, um, kind of relinquish its effect on the air temperature. Um, we're still going to be much warmer than we have been uh, next week, uh, but maybe not quite all the way up to, uh, to uh, um, those high temperatures. Uh, digits that are in the uh, forecast right now yeah 10 forecast for monday 18 for tuesday i'll be honest rose if we get to eight instead of 18 i'll be excited about that i hope to not have to call you four days in a row next week oh yeah i hope so too (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking forward to the double digits all right rose carlson environment canada joining us live on cjob thank you very much we appreciate this absolutely have a good one and you make a good point loren eight well it would be lovely to see 18 degrees like even on i think it was sunday Saturday or Sunday, where it got to one degree and just cracking that, just getting above zero 
felt so nice. So I'll take it. I know, I know we the the long the long term forecast is always a crapshoot, and uh, the I knew that 11 degrees for Sunday was optimistic, but uh, I'll take it even three degrees. Great. That's what, even so they've scaled back. You know that that forecast for Sunday went from 11 to three. So you know we've lost several degrees. Fine, take a few away. If it's above zero and the sun's shining, I am happy. I'm not happy about the Jets' loss last night. We're going to get more into that with Sports with Cameron Poitras in a few minutes. But I do like this song. Let's find a way to pick ourselves up this morning, Brett. I'm a, I'm a whole roller coaster of emotions over here. <laughs> I'm in a glass box of emotion. <laughs> it has been five years today since the tragic Humboldt Broncos crash where 16 people died and 13 were injured after a transport truck went through a stop sign and into the path of a bus carrying the Saskatchewan junior hockey team. Global's Nathaniel Dove has more. I heard a scream from the front of the bus. I looked, and instantly a semi-truck was coming our way, and everything was black. Five years ago, Canada stopped, shocked by what happened on a northern Saskatchewan highway. Yeah, I've definitely had those moments where you know I let, I let grief kind of take over my day and, and ruin it for myself and I guess the people around me. Ryan Strachnitsky, one of 13 Humboldt Broncos injured. 16 died, like trainer Dana Bronze. Every one of these gifts has a story. In a gallery surrounded by tokens of support from around the world, her mother, Carol Bronze, like the others, says it doesn't feel like five years. It just feels like a hole still in our, in our lives. Sometimes the sea is calm. And the next night, day, the, there's a storm and you get hit by the wave. I went to seven funerals in eight days. And that's not supposed to happen. Those who spoke to Global News say they still haven't made sense of what happened, of the lives forever changed and lost. They move forward because they have to, trying to honor the memories of their teammates and loved ones. Toby and Bernadine Boulay lost their son Logan in the crash. They now champion Green Shirt Day to promote organ donation, inspired by their son's decision. After we walked Logan to uh, the operating room, we left the hospital. And as we were walking down this hallway, um, there was a man coming with a cart with coolers. And you knew that the coolers, where they were going and what they were being used for. They all say they'll mark the anniversary and the days after when others died, quietly. They hope Canada does the same, that we remember our loved ones and those who need help, moving ahead, because what else can you do? We can't control a lot of the things that happen to us. We can only control what happens after. Nathaniel Dove, Global News. Man, what a powerful last line. You can only control what comes after. And I think many of us remember exactly where we were the day we learned 16 people died and 13 more were injured in the heart of a nation, you know, trying to come to grips with such immense loss. And there are so many parents. And and even if you're not a mom or dad out there, you know, who hope to never know the tragedy that those parents have gone through. And yet, um, as I sit here, Brett, I'm very grateful to the people in that story and to the moms and dads and to the victims who continue to talk and share what they've learned and what people they hope people learn out of this. So today, Humboldt's marking Humboldt Bronco Day. Tomorrow, a day for Logan Boulay and to remember about organ donation and, and all the... There's no making sense of what happened five years later at all, and yet you hear those voices and you think, okay, well, they're trying to make sense themselves, and if they can move forward and try to find some gift, you heard the word gift in that story out of this, then the rest of us have to try to do that too. And today, and you referenced this earlier, Loren, in our first half hour, out of this tragedy, we've heard so many inspiring Mm -hmm. stories. You know, we heard his voice in that story from Nathaniel Dove, former Humboldt player Ryan Strasnitsky, he has a unique perspective as he embarks on a new path forward of making buildings more accessible for the disabled. Yeah, you heard him talk in that story about how he has some days where the grief overtakes him and, and others where he tries to move forward. And Ryan was um, paralyzed from the chest down in that crash and says he's just completed a certification program from the Rick Hansen Foundation on how to rate meaningful access to buildings and sites for the, the disabled. The reason being is, you know, me and Rick had a couple conversations and we realize that, um, you know, Canada in general, I think, is a little behind the eight ball on accessibility. So 
um, taking this course in order to learn more about universal design so that um, architecture is more accessible for everyone. I just think, uh, you know, having lived this experience for, you know, five years now, um, you know, going traveling all over the world, um, <laughs> realizing how inaccessible places are, um, you know, I realized that maybe working towards making things a little more accessible makes it easier and then uh, these sorts of problems uh, don't have to be encountered by anyone else in similar situations. All he's been through, you know, and here he is trying to find something else to change the way forward, right? So he's not just looking at making buildings more successful. He's talking about sport and being sport as someone who's paralyzed from the chest down. And he hopes to play sledge hockey on the national team, but admits it's not easy. It's one of those things where um, you're, you're hoping that you can get a chance to try out in September. But, but uh, you know, <laughs> from what I've been told, I guess, from, from people in, in the uh, organization and, and for the para hockey program is that my... My disability is holding me back, so I'm going to try and continue to train and uh, hopefully prove them wrong. Strzeznyski is still working on his balance and says sledge hockey is geared more to people who have lost limbs than those in a wheelchair. So we wish him well on that journey. And just wanted to give you a heads up as well. In the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League playoffs, Humboldt is in the playoffs. They're in the semifinals. They defeated the Flin Flon Bombers 4-1 last night to avoid being swept. Broncos are down in that series three games to one. Game five goes on Friday. McGarry McNabb Mackling is off today. So it turns out our friends down the hall at Global, they've they've decided to have a little little bit of a morning potluck spread heading into the long weekend. There's chips and dip down there and Doritos and cookies and Clay's wife made bannock and and uh, of course there's candy and chocolate as well heading into the Easter long weekend. So when Gabrielle Marchand gave me a heads up that this is what lurks down the hallway, Loren, I have done everything I, I can in my power to not go down there. <laughs> oh, I was going to say you ran there like a beak, like you were just like dialed all in. I, chips and dip at 4 a.m. is the way to go, man. Well, that sounds that's pretty good. That's the problem. That, that, oh, I know. But the chips and dip is uh, a real problem for me. <laughs> and I can't if I start, I can't stop. So but on the candy and chocolate front, you know, got us thinking about Easter eggs and whatnot. So let's talk about Easter candies. At the, you know, it might be something we do every year. So what? It's fun. I'm craving mini eggs. Let's go around the horn here. Cameron Poitras, Easter chocolate candy well, you treats. S- you said the magic word, mini eggs. Uh, none of these other supposed fake mini eggs that have all these other weird names. Eggies? I know immediately when I taste an eggie. It is Come not a on, you egg. do not. Yes, I do. <laughs> you do? I'm going to blindfold I, you Monday. No, I, okay, I, carry I on. I promise you. You don't. I'll tell the difference between an eggie and a mini egg. He's right. He's right. The the, the the mini eggs, it's their Snobs. texture. Yes, it's the texture, 100%. They've, they've got like, it's almost like a matte finish on their chocolate. It's like the chocolate's been sandblasted. <laughs> yeah, of course I can tell the difference between the two. Uh, How mad dare that, you, Loren, suggest I, I don't know the difference? I'm mad because um, I couldn't eat the mini eggs because it, they, they still have a may contain nuts in our house. Oh. And so the eggies are actually the opposite. They're okay. I think I have that right. And so I'm just pretending, like I'm trying to convince myself <laughs> that the eggies are the replacement. Well, you have a good reason. Well, you have a very good reason to not bring those into the house, though. Like I, I don't have that. I don't have that reason. So I think there's another one, another knockoff too, isn't there? It doesn't matter. There's yeah. only one. There's only one type. There really is. And plus, the problem with mini eggs too is they're pretty much available year round now, aren't which they? Is a, which is, I think, is kind of a problem because it was like such a great treat. Now they're everywhere. Yeah. Um, but I don't know why. I, they're like, I don't know. Like, there's the best chocolate, and I don't know why. It is because it's an egg form. I don't know, but it always tastes like the best to me. The best like type of milk chocolate. So. Yeah, and then they they sell those big like twenty dollar bags that are like four kilograms or those whatever they are. They don't survive long. No, I can't. I, I I looked at that once and thought, oh, that looks good. And then I I thought I could see myself just eating this whole thing in one <laughs> shot. And I'm not a be big, sick. I'm not a big sweets person myself, but like I, I make time for for mini eggs. Yeah, I make time for mini eggs. <laughs> Skylar Peters, what about you? You 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 eat like a horse. What do you like to inhale for chocolate? I'm actually not a big sweets guy, uh, but I do enjoy the odd mini egg. My mm-hmm. partner loves mini eggs, and it's been a bit of a problem heading into this Easter. Uh, but I like this is I don't know is this weird? You guys tell me. Like I used to get the chocolate bunny at Easter right when I was a kid, yep. and. Like I would have like, you know, I maybe have the ears or something like just a little nibble and then I put it in the freezer for like three weeks and then I like pull it out and have it again. 
is, is, oh, that, yeah, that is was, that crazy or is no? It, okay, I, I used to do that. I think I, isn't that just sort That's of commonplace? Smart. Right. Okay. I didn't, well, I didn't know if I like because I like I don't eat like a whole lot of, the, of you know chocolate and all that at the same time. So I wasn't sure if like I was going completely nuts or uh, anything like that. But I I do agree. Uh, you can taste the difference between eggies and mini eggs. I'm not even like seasoned in this regard. But uh, I I will uh, volunteer in a taste test, Loren, if you're bringing uh, food chocolate on Monday. I'll be here. So I'm going to do that and plus like real bacon and soy bacon or something like oh. that. You know. <laughs> That's the easiest thing on earth. Anything else, please? Like, I don't know that I've ever been more disappointed than when I first tried turkey bacon. Oh, yeah, you're I thought right. It, yeah, it, can't it be, can't be that much it different sucks. than real bacon. No. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, it is. The people who are like, you can't tell the difference, that's where I will lose it. I'm like, what's wrong with your mouth? <laughs> it's, you know, it's 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 like, you know what, and listen, for, for people that are vegetarian, the whole world of uh, plant-based meats have come a long way. And plant-based meats is an ox- oxymoron in itself, but it, you you can't tell me that you oh it's exactly the same. It's not the same. It isn't. It's like well, you're just like I mean, if somebody's telling you that, well, like, like eggies and mini eggs are one thing. See, but I, to say the Beyond Burger tastes like Five Guys is just I, I like I like the Beyond Burger. And I have to. My wife's vegetarian. My like her her mom's vegetarian. They they they, they this, I have to eat it quite often. I don't mind it. I like I will eat it, but to suggest that it's anywhere close to as good as a beef burger, it's not even it's not in the it's not even in, in the same realm. Well, since we've got <laughs> I know we, <laughs> we should, we've got I have thoughts this on this. supposed to be about Easter candy. I have thoughts on this actually, uh, because I, I've tried a few of those burgers and I really don't mind them. But uh, we digress. Loren, uh, okay. Easter candy for you. First of all, they should make the mini eggs like the the original mini egg, which is the one that we used to all get that was wrapped in the t- colored tinfoil. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? The, all the eggs used I've to get those. in those netted packages yeah, when yeah. you were yes. little. Yeah. They, so if, little they wrap, if they wrap them in tinfoil, you wouldn't eat as many of them. I love the Easter O. Henry. I'll say that every single year because it's smaller and more condensed. And for some reason, it has more in it. Like it's a different shape than the regular O. Henry. But again, I can't eat that in my house. So I have to like sneak that on the side. And of course, I think I, you guys all know this by now. The Easter Bunny hides jujubes in our house. Mm. And my favorite part is not finding all the jujubes for like a year. And then when I do find them, and I don't care what this makes me sound like, I eat them. I love a stale, hard jujube. There you go. With that aluminum, with the aluminum foil, I always like to <laughs> use my fingernail to smooth it out. You ever do that? And what, like make like some sort of table? Make it like collage? sheen. Make it sheen, you know, like smooth all the wrinkles out of the aluminum with my fingernail. I was like, oh, I can't wait for soy bacon and eggies on Monday. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> uh, so let us know at 204-780-6868, your favorite Easter candy or chocolate for a chance to win some tickets for Monday Night Raw. If you've got a story that you can associate with that, of course, that improves your chances. We're going to pick a winner at 915. Small town salute, and for our small town salute this week, we have a small town takeover courtesy of the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, the Jets didn't get what they wanted last night. The fans didn't get what they wanted, and so that means if it wasn't crunch time already, boy, it is now for the club. They they need your support now more than ever, and in one town. It sounds like they're getting ready to put their love and passion for this team to a test. So Oakville battled for a chance to win a visit from a pair of alumni plus a viewing party and some very important programming from Project 11 that, of course, works to raise mental health awareness in schools. This is for the Jets' small town takeover, and that takeover is happening on the 11th when the Jets take on the Wild. To tell us more, we're joined by Ashley Tooley from Oakville. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning. So if we're going to get to Oakville, we take Highway 16. How, how are like snow and uh, going west from Winnipeg? How are things looking in your area this morning? No, you actually just have to take Highway 1, about four, 60 oh, kilometers of Winnipeg. I have Minidosa on the brain. I'm sorry. Yes, I, I passed no Oakville on my way to Minidosa taking Highway 1, correct? Going west? Yes. You know what? Not a problem at all. Lots of people actually don't know where Oakville is. It's 60 kilometers west of Winnipeg, between Winnipeg and Portage. We're in the RM of Portage. So why did you apply for the Jets' small-town takeover? Why did we apply? You know what? I'll be honest. It was almost a little bit of a joke. I have a friend 
you guys may have heard of him, Greg Burnett. He's the biggest Jets fan in the city. He may or may not retire this year. And I said, okay, if I, I get if I apply for this, this is your retirement gift. And we thought, never in a million years could we win against a community as big as Morden or even Bozizer. And here we are buckling in for the excitement of next Monday and Tuesday. It's actually going to be a two-day event out here. Oh, awesome. We do know Greg. We've had him on the show before. He has a crazy Jets cave of filled with everything you can imagine uh, in his basement, I believe, if I'm get- getting the right Greg, right? Uh, Greg Mackling also right has Greg. a lot of stuff. But <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's the right Greg. He brings the love of Jets to our school and our community. So this is awesome that we can do this as a community. And you know what? It's kind of cool because we're the little town that could, just like even though the Jets lost yesterday, they're still the team that could, the little team that could too. So do so, you, go ahead, Lorraine. I was just going to ask, you talked about the connection through Greg, and that's why you applied Greg Burnett being a big Jets fan. But you yourself, are you just a passionate community member? Do you have, you know, kids that skate at the rink? Or what's your, what's your connection to hockey, if any? So my connection to hockey is that I just like to cheer on all the kids that I teach through the years, as well as my kids play rec hockey. My connection is more let's do something fun for our community and reconnect us after the last few years. We've slowly reconnected, but this is actually going to be the biggest thing to reconnect all of us. After COVID, it was tiring for a lot of our community, whether there was the seniors or the kids or even us middle-aged people who are raising families. So this is just going to bring us all back together. And I absolutely love the community. While I wasn't born and raised here, I'm super happy my husband and I picked this place for my kids to be born and raised. It's our home, and we love it so much. What's the uh, the landscape like? Like, you know, because anytime I, I start heading west, I always tend to enjoy being in that. I always sort of lament, like, ah, oh, it seems to be like actual scenery here and not just flat like where I'm yeah, from. It's still pretty flat. Um, we're a friendly farming community. So it is still pretty flat in the landscape right now. Let's be honest. Snow, snow, and more snow. It's been quite the time for everyone. Fair. How much snow did you get? Um, well, it's back over my fence when it wasn't on Saturday when we, my family and I returned from Mexico. So we'll have to get it down so my dogs don't escape. <laughs> so, well, Ashley, tell us what's happening on the 10th and the 11th. Two-day event. Yeah, it's a two-day event. So on the 10th, it's actually quite awesome. Um, some Winnipeg Jets alumni, as well as their development camp, will come out and do developmental skates with our um, Oakville minor hockey, as well as our rec hockey kids. So everybody who's in hockey, whether it's super organized and competitive, gets a chance to do it, or whether it's just rec hockey as well. And then on Monday night, we have a crew of people going to be taking that ice out within 10 to 12 hours. So then on Tuesday... The Jets come in and set up our rink so it can be this awesome viewing party slash social style. And while they're doing that on Tuesday, they have another crew coming to our school to do Project 11 and mindful movement with Susie as well as Mickey Moose for the kids at school. So even if the kids don't get to play hockey, they still get to experience something through this. And yeah, mental health is a big thing in our school and we are so, so happy we have this opportunity. Well, congratulations and enjoy Oakville with the Jets Small Town Takeover. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me. Go Jets, go! Ashley Tooley from Oakville, joining us live on CJOB once again. Oakville battled for weeks for the chance to win a visit from a pair of alumni, plus a viewing party and some important programming for Project 11, which works to raise mental health awareness in schools. So again, uh, it's a two-day event, the 10th and the 11th, and on the 11th, the Jets take on the Minnesota Wild. It is a huge weekend in the world of golf, the Masters. And when it comes to pro golf, we know someone who has a tremendous enthusiasm for the game, Loren. For the game and actually got to go to the Masters recently. So we want to bring on Bob Irving. Good morning. Good morning, Loren and Brett. How are you guys? Or good. I, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to watching some golf and using the weather as an excuse, even if it warms up, to stay inside, Bob. But, but before we get to golf, uh, I also want to watch some hockey this weekend, and I'm hoping for some better results than we saw last night. Do you have any hope, any words of wisdom you can give us so that we can hang on to the possibility that we can still do this for the playoffs? 
Well, it's still in the control of the Winnipeg Jets. Or in that game last night against Calgary, I know it was built up to be the, the game of the year, and you're not going to win many games when you score one goal, which is what the Jets did last night. Uh, so they're tied with Calgary now, but uh, Winnipeg has four games left. Calgary only has three. And then there's Nashville, who are three points back of the Jets with five games left. But the Jets play Nashville Saturday. Uh, and, you know, if they win three of their last four games – they're going to make the playoffs. So as dismal as it looks for a lot of the fans after that game last night, uh, it's still all there for the Jets. They just have to win some games now in their last four. Three of their last four should do it for them. So, yeah, there's still hope, you know, and, and they've played better lately. I thought they gave it a pretty good effort last night, just good enough to lose, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't give up hope. It's still there. And our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. Jets are now tied with Calgary for that last playoff spot in the West. Where do you rate their chances? Cast your vote at cjob.com. Now moving to the golf. Golf enthusiasts, of course, know what it is. But for those who don't and are wondering what the fuss is all about, what is the Masters? Well, a, a, bit, a brief history, I guess, Brett. Uh, Bobby Jones, one of the all-time great golfers in 1930, decided to purchase a patch of land in a, Georgia that he could build a golf course on for his retirement. Uh, he had a guy named Cliff Roberts then bought this land uh, in Augusta, and they built this golf course, which opened in 1933. They began hosting a tournament there. It was called the Augusta National Invitation. And in 1935, it became... The Masters, and of course, it's grown in lore uh, in all the years since then. It's one of the four majors. There are four majors in golf, and the Masters is the the only one that's played at the same course every year. The course in Augusta, Georgia. It's an invitational tournament, a smaller field than the other majors. The past champions are all welcome to play. They qualify automatically. And it's really become what people consider to be, largely because it's played in the same course every year. The other majors move around. It's sort of the cathedral of golf, the mecca of golf, a tradition unlike any other. Those are some of the terms that are used to describe the Masters. The property itself, and I was fortunate, as Lorenz said, fortunate to be there uh, last year. The property itself is gorgeous. It's almost impossible to properly describe it unless you can see it. Uh, the vegetation and all the rest of it is just beautiful. So it's become, uh, of the four majors, it's the one that's, I think, the most celebrated, and it has been for many years. Bob, you used the word cathedral, like, in that statement and how it's been described by others. And so I'm curious, in having been there then, does it have that same kind of feel when you might walk into a place of worship, so to speak, and you sort of of start whispering and you feel like you have to (laughs) revere it? Well, it's funny when my son and I were there last year on Saturday and Sunday, we were there for the final two rounds. And if you're a golf fan and you know the history of this tournament in particular, as you're walking up to the entrance from the parking lot, there is a real special feeling. And, you know, the hair kind of stands on end a little bit, and then you walk in and you're really kind of awestruck. I was awestruck. I really was. And I'm not awestruck by many things anymore, but because I'm such a huge golf fan, to be at Augusta, Georgia, where the Masters is played, uh, it's a special feeling. And then you walk up and you see the players practicing. There's the practice area and the buildings and just the beauty of the place. And, uh, yeah, you soak it in, and it's really, really a special feeling. We spent a lot of time on the first tee. One of the things about this golf course is people can't see on television the elevations that are there. And we were told that, and we all knew that. But until you're there and you see all the hills, the ups and downs, and that's why they talk about Tiger Woods, the struggle for him will be walking the the four rounds and being able to stand up physically because of his injury issues. Uh, until you've actually been on the property and see the elevations, you can't appreciate uh, how difficult it could be for somebody like Tiger to walk up these hills. And they're really steep. And again, you can't see that on television, but uh, that's just the way it is. And Bob, there's some added drama this year because last year, of course, we had several high-profile golfers defect from the PGA Tour to the new Saudi-backed Live Golf Tour, and those Live Golfers are being allowed to play in the majors this year, including the Masters this weekend. So we only have about 60 seconds, but what do you think? Well, I don't think they should be there, but I'm in the minority, I guess, in terms of the golf world. Um, you know, And there's some, some people from the Live Tour who certainly have a chance to win, 
uh, Dustin Johnson, Cam Smith, uh, Brooks Kepka, and I could name a few more. Uh, it's it's kind of an undercurrent to, to this year's tournament because of the division between the two tours. And yet I've been watching the Golf Channel religiously for the last three days and will be stuck in front of my TV all day today. There hasn't been a lot of talk among the players about the sort of the rivalry, the animosity that might exist between the two groups. It's It's more all about golf this week. Who's going to win the Masters? And so I think that's a good thing that uh, the controversy has kind of been set aside. But it's there for sure. And you know the live golfers are going to want to you know, play well and prove to the world that uh, you know, they deserve some recognition that they're not currently getting. So it's definitely an undercurrent. And I'll be cheering for all the guys from the PGA Tour and for none of them from the live tour. <laughs> hey! Did you ever have that that sandwich that's famous at the Masters? What is it yes. like, pimento or cheese or some? What's in it? What's the story? They're really good egg salad and pimento cheese. We, you know, we vegged out on them last year. They're they're a buck and a half, a dollar fifty. Uh, you can't beat the bargain. Hey, like a Winnipegger. But no, they're really good. They're out and they're made by the Masters. Everything at the Masters is run by and made by the Masters. And they're really, really good. And the price has never changed, I guess, for the last, I don't know, 100 years. They've been a buck fifty. Bob Irving joining us to talk Jets and the Masters. Thank you very much, Bob. And hopefully the forecast improves because there's the potential for 80 millimeters of rain in Augusta on Saturday. Uh, but a lot can change between now and then. It is McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is off today, and we want to get right into this here because it's our monthly visit now with the leader of this province, Premier Heather Stephenson. Good morning. Good morning. So I'm in studio. Loren's working from home because the roads this morning and school closures in the division that we have a big list at cjob.com, by the way. Uh, but her kids are, you know, her division, so her kids are at home. So we were just talking earlier. I personally can't remember more than one snow day growing up in Winnipeg. <laughs> I think it was in 85 or 86, just one. Uh, what about you? Did you ever get a snow day? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there was, but I don't remember it as often as maybe it has been in more recent years with the weather the way it is, but uh but, hey, you know, um, it's safety first, right? Yeah, that's the message, I think, today and yesterday. And, and we just were asking because I feel like that's all we get where I am. There's <laughs> snow days and, then, and the city kids, I know, are lamenting that they don't. But, you know, that, they're going to have a good day heading into the long weekend. And, and we do have some serious things to get to because it's been a busy week, not just because of the storm. But uh, you and your provincial colleagues were asked earlier this week for a sit-down meeting with police chiefs from across the country. That ask came in, you know, Monday into Tuesday. And you acknowledged you got that letter and you've put that ask out to your counterparts. Do you expect that meeting will happen and when? Yeah, I, I, again, it's just going through the process right now, just reaching out and hearing back from uh, my colleagues, but I'm sure it will go forward. Um, not sure about a when yet. Uh, we'll have to coordinate with all of our schedules, but yeah, Danny Smythe did come by my office uh, earlier this week and delivered the letter, and certainly the letter is very much in line with uh, what we've been saying. I mean, too many police officers have been um, have perished in the line of duty, and uh, obviously looking at bail reform with the federal government, um, that's a significant issue. And so I think they've reached out to us because they want another voice at the table. We've you asked. mentioned that he came in there. Sorry, uh, mm-hmm. Brett, uh, that the chief came to your office. So were you in regular contact with him or was it, is that more of an unusual stop by? No, I, I think he was coming by to, uh, we're in regular contact with uh, the chief of police, of course, but... Um, but he, this was in his capacity as the chair of the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police nationally. And uh, so, um, you know, he came by to just deliver the letter to me. And we had a quick chat about, about the letter and just, um, you know, offering my condolences to uh, the officers who have perished in the line of duty more recently. And we've asked you before about crime and the concerns, particularly in downtown. So a few months ago, you said you still feel safe in the downtown, do you continue to feel safe? I do, and and but I will say that there are challenges, and we're not sticking our head in the sand. We recognize 
um, that, uh, you know, there's challenges. And that's why we just implemented a $52 million violent crime strategy to ensure that we keep the most, you know, violent criminals off of our streets. Uh, and that really is what, uh, you know, Chief Smythe was bringing forward on bail reform and wanting to make sure that it's not easier for these violent criminals to get out on bail. Um, so again, we stand by the the chief of police on on that matter, and and we're putting our money where our mouth is with our uh, new violent cl- crime strategy. When you say you have concerns, you know one of the words that was used in that letter is to ask for an urgent meeting because they feel what's happening now needs an urgent response. And so I'm curious, how would you define the crime situation in the province and the city right now? And and we we hear so many times that every day, rurally, it's not just a city thing, right? That that people feel like they're seeing it more and more. So do you have, how would you define it? Well, I would say that there is a, a significant challenge and that's why we are taking action and that's why we're working with law enforcement uh, in this on this matter. But again, you know, by the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police coming forward and recognizing that this is nothing unique to Manitoba, it's right across our country. Um, so we need to take action. We're taking action locally and we'll take action nationally as well. Somewhere someone's going to call me a bleeding heart liberal or, or, or whatever, Madam Premier, but I'm going to go ahead and ask this because we've also heard from defense lawyers who will say, okay, we can have all these conversations about tightening bail restrictions and making it harder for people to get out, repeat offenders to get out if they're, you know, committed a second or third crime. But then something needs to be in place within the prison system so that there is that push towards rehabilitation because locking someone up and putting them back out doesn't appear to be working either. And they point to the fact that even legal aid didn't get this doesn't get the same kind of funding as, say, the prosecutors, the Crown prosecutors do. So what would be done then internally within the judicial system to try to reduce recidivism? Yeah, we're always looking at ways to reduce recidivism, uh, at making the uh, justice system more efficient and effective to ensure that those most violent criminals remain behind bars where they should be, not out on our streets. Um, And uh, so we'll continue to make those improvements to the system. So we've asked you, you know, we've talked before when when you took over as premier, you know, the idea that your party and had what many would call a tenuous relationship with the indigenous community in this province. And that was in part because of statements made by your predecessor, Brian Pallister, comments made by uh, the indigenous reconciliation minister. How would you describe your relationship now with the indigenous peoples of this province? Well, I've, uh, I, I believe I have a close relationship with um, our grand chiefs. Uh, I believe in many chiefs, you know, right across uh, the system. I also am very close with the clan mothers who do incredible work with their um, with their healing village uh, to help get, uh, you know, women off the streets to protect them uh, and make sure that they're getting the help that they need in a very culturally appropriate way. And so um, those are some of the, you know, the, the times, you know, certainly that I was in justice, the time that I was in the family's portfolio, I got to develop those relationships personally with many of those individuals. And so we'll continue to, to help in any way, but it's important that we let them lead the dialogue and the discussion on all of this. And, and that's of course what we're doing. We also want to talk about affordability. I mean, it feels like something we've been talking about forever now and how life just keeps getting less affordable. Out today, there's a survey by Angus Reid that shows the growing number of Canadians who are dipping into their savings just to make ends meet. Yesterday, there was a survey that said six out of 10 Canadians who don't have a house have flat out given up on that dream of ever owning a house. So on that note, your government promised rebate checks in January. Thousands have gone out. I got mine. So thank you. But again, this morning, you know, we've got listeners asking, where is my check? So are they still going into the mail? Like they're not all out yet? Yeah, I guess they they still continue to to roll those out. We're getting them out as quickly as we possibly can, but we're also taking other measures as well. You saw in our recent budget where the basic personal amount we increased uh, from a little under eleven thousand to fifteen thousand. We've made some changes to the income tax um, thresholds as well. That will put thousands of, of dollars back into the pockets of Manitobans. And so that will make life more affordable for the longer term, as well as these checks that are going out. But what doesn't help is when the federal government continues to increase the carbon tax on Manitobans as well. So we've called on them to stop that. Um, they've, they've recently, just as of April 1st, again increased that. And uh, that does not help make life more affordable for Manitobans. 
So the tax measures you mentioned, you know, they are going to come in, but that's a longer term strategy. I think we could feel the first change in summer should everything pass uh, down a Broadway. Are you looking at all at any other affordability measures, uh, another round of checks perhaps? We've already gone through two. Is there anything else on the horizon? So we will always look at ways um, to make life more affordable for Manitobans, both in the short term and in the longer term. Uh, th- this is two rounds of of affordability uh, packages, the carbon relief funds that we sent out uh, most most recently and will continue to roll out. Uh, but the basic personal amount will, as you say, come into effect July 1st, providing that the, the budget does pass and the NDP doesn't step in the way of that happening. Uh, but uh, And then the rest will come in the way of your income taxes when you file uh, next year for this year's income taxes. So um, we'll continue to make uh, life more affordable in any way we can. And we're really the, the only party out there right now that's, that's talking about that. Before we let you go, Premier Heather Stephenson, I just wanted to ask you about something else we were talking about this morning. Do you like mini eggs? Mini eggs. Oh, my goodness. The chocolate treat. You know what? I I like them too much, probably. Yeah? (laughs) And then then the next question is, do you like eggies? Oh, don't start this. Well, come on. It was an important debate we had this morning. We got to get the premier to weigh in. What are eggies? Is there a difference between eggies and mini eggs? Uh Uh-oh. Don't get that. Don't even. Well, eggies are the inferior version of mini eggs. Oh, okay. So so you have it right. Loren, what do you think? I think that people talk about this way too much. I was just saying, <laughs> She's just you know jealous. What? I'm just jealous. I can't bring in one of the brands into our house due to a nut allergy. And so oh, I have to no. stick with the okay. other. And I do feel it's inferior. And, you know, next time we'll ask you your opinions on turkey bacon versus real bacon. But we'll, we'll leave it at Aggie's for I'm now. a bacon person. There you go. Premier Heather Stevenson joins us once a month. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thanks have so a, much. Have a happy Easter long weekend. Happy Easter to you and to everyone. Yesterday afternoon, our question of the day at cjob.com from Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. Rich and Julie asked, give us your grade for Winnipeg's snow clearing for Wednesday's storm. 33% gave the grade a C, 20% D, 20% F, 16% B, and 10% an A. And uh, I will say, obviously, the difference between yesterday morning when I was coming to work around 4.30 to this morning, uh, apples to oranges, everything was clear this morning. Um, I don't think that, uh, like, once they get out there, I think our, the, the people who are clearing our streets and sidewalks do a great job. I still wonder why the call was made to wait until 7 a.m. I still don't get it. Yeah, and I would push back a bit on the sidewalks. I don't know if we're doing the best as we can on our sidewalks. And if you think about just people with mobility issues, seniors trying to get around, it's not easy when there's even just a thin layer of ice and snow. Can we do better and how we do better? That's, you know, one of the asks. The mayor said yesterday that the 15 sidewalk machines they ordered in the fall, clearing machines, uh, they're still not here yet. Uh, due to supply chain issues. So the situation this whole winter is not necessarily much of an improvement over last year. When it comes to the roads, what I wonder is that if if we just sort of have, when you have a policy as the city does, and they revamp it and revise it all the time, and there's another review coming down the pipe in a matter of weeks, are they does it then put things sort of like set in stone well this is what it says so this is how we have to do it i.e like we're gonna start at 7 a.m that's the shift and how much flexibility is there really at say 9 p.m at night if you're the head of city maintenance to look at the forecast and go "Uh oh we need guys in here at three you know drivers guys and gals in here at three not four or four not seven and how do you go about turning that around And so then the alternative to that is then just having that complement ready around the clock. And is that affordable? You know, you're not calling someone in at midnight being like, things are really bad. You got to get down here now. Uh, How are you waking them up? Like, how's that all work? And I genuinely don't know the answer. I'd love to have, if you're a snowplow driver and you feel like calling in, call in and tell us how it goes for you on a day like the last few days we've had. Yeah. Yeah. Because with the yesterday afternoon, for example, the sidewalks had not been touched yet. I know that they had started clearing some of the streets and that salt did. It did do a lot of work to help make that snow melt. But the sidewalks were a mess uh, 
throughout downtown all the way to Osborne Village, and every sidewalk I passed, there was sort of a, like a windrow or a pile of snow trying to just walk step off of the sidewalk onto the street to cross the street. So I don't know what the sidewalks were like in my neighborhood, like say cross the Osborne Bridge. I don't know what happened this morning. Just sort of looking around downtown this morning as I was rolling in in my cab, I could see the sidewalks had been plowed. Um, So I think my experience with the sidewalks this year has been better than overall than last year. Uh, But we just need, we need more of those more, we need that equipment to come in, and we need the people who are who can drive them and and operate them, uh, because we have a lot of sidewalk to to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just I feel like this is it's always one of those things where we're always going to be the city's always going to be chasing its tail because mm-hmm. uh, you know we just we don't have endless resources and Winnipeggers have high expectations. Let's face it, it's Winnipeg. We demand, we expect. Like amazing snow clearing. But we expect it because we live with it all the time. And so in a city that lives with it all the time, you have to think we can do better. Like how Winnipeg Airport, for example, deals with storms versus the Torontos and Vancouver's. You see the difference because we have tried and tested methods over the years. The same should be said of our streets. And so I just have to wonder, is it about changing those shifts, having more people? And then of course, can you even get the staff Manitoba highways? We've talked to them in the past about them trying to find staff to shore up snow plowing operations. And that's easier said than done. It all comes down to money. Let's, let's not joke around about it. You know, these these things we're talking about here, they're all fun things. The Jets, being able to go to see Jets games or concerts or wrestling. But there's a huge, there's a big segment of our population that doesn't get this opportunity. The, you know, the vulnerable segment of our population. And next Friday is one of the most, I think, most important days of the year for us here at 680 CJOB because it's a day in support of Silo Mission with the Stories of Hope Radiothon. So from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., we're going to invite you to listen live to CJOB Power 97 and Peggy at 99.1 as we share stories of hope from inside the walls of Silo Mission and from those who have experienced homelessness. Your generosity is going to help create more stories of hope for some of our city's most vulnerable. So we're joined now by Tessie, Tessa Blakey-Whitecloud, who is the CEO of Silo Mission. Good morning, Tessa. Good, good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, we've been working with Silom, you know, for a number of years through a number of fundraisers. And, and I think, you know, you're always looking for help in a wide variety of ways. I'm curious how big a deal the Radiothon is in all your donation efforts throughout the calendar year. It's really important to us, um, especially this time of year, as people start to look towards the spring, it means for us and for the people that we're serving sort of a whole change potentially in wardrobe, but also hopefully uh, a moment to feel, you know, that they can go through a transformation like we're about to see in the natural world around us and hopefully find housing and take those next steps. And of course, that takes a dedicated team uh, supporting them and helping them with ID and all of those little things that have a bunch of costs. And so when uh, people give to the Radiothon, that helps us, you know, pay somebody's damage deposit and move them into housing and uh, get them started on their journey. So it's a crucial, crucial timing for us and just so, so wonderful to have the awareness, too, of all of the positive impacts that people's generosity to Silo Mission makes in the lives of people coming to access services. So you just gave an example of where the, the money goes to, to help out. But just wondering for this year's Radiothon, do you have any sort of specific areas that the money is going toward? Well, one of the things that's really interesting for us is we have 143 shelter beds. 26 of those are identified as only for women um, in like a whole kind of separate shelter space so that they have, you know, their own washrooms and their own showers and really can feel safe. And when we were doing the Make Room Capital campaign, we heard from women that it was a barrier for them to access shelter that some of those spaces were co-ed. So we built that separate space, but we don't have a funding agreement for it. So we have 26 beds that we are always at capacity in um, that we don't we only fund because of the generosity of folks uh, who make those contributions. And same actually with all of the work that happens in our kitchen. We're about 1,500 meals a day right now on average, a huge, a huge increase with the inflation that people are experiencing. Um, and all of that, again, is just from the generosity of donors. So huge, huge pieces of work that you know, need to happen to keep women safe and to keep people fed and healthy and, and able to do that transformative work in their life. 
talk about the radiothon coming at sort of a crucial time of year, but it's just been crucial crisis. It might be even the word, Tessa, when it comes to just what we're seeing within our vulnerable populations. You know, we had a listener just text, I think it was about a week or so ago, saying that for the first time they were going to a food bank because that's where they're at. They're, they're working and they have money coming in and they don't have enough coming in. And so I'm just curious how things have changed even over the last few months with what you're seeing uh, from people just looking for that meal, not just a place to put their head. Yeah, so we see a lot of people that um, we've housed in the past, which is which is really lovely that have been successfully housed and, and are doing well, but they're on some sort of fixed income, whether that's a pension, whether that's disability. Um, and now they're saying, you know what, I can't, I can't make ends meet, like I can't eat and keep my housing. So they're coming to us for meals um, or they're coming to us for food hampers. And that's a huge increase in numbers for us. So we used to average around six to 700 meals a day. And so being at 1,500 is really big. We also used to get tons of in-kind food donations um, and that's decreased for us. So we're looking at a deficit budget in the upcoming year, and about 140000 of that is extra food costs over normal uh, for Silo Mission because of both the increase of folks coming for food and the increase of the cost of that food. And I guess with the increased cost of food, I'm wondering, does that, put a, does that harm any of the infrastructure within Silo Mission? Because, you know, for those who maybe don't know, you've got all kinds of, you've got medical offices in there and dental mm-hmm. offices, with, which is, has some really expensive equipment. So if something like that breaks down, I would imagine the repair could potentially be expensive. So with the increased food cost, is that getting in the way of, of any, anything that's maybe been on sitting on the back burner? So we're, you know, we're really lucky that our board is is looking and accepting the fact that we might run a deficit in the coming year because at all costs, we do never want to compromise the services that we're offering community members. They're our first priority. So when we talk about our strategic plan, if you take a look through it, our first and core intention is community first. So we're making the decision that, you know, we're going to figure it out in the year to come. Um, and, you know, this year we also thought, this past year, we also thought we were going to run a deficit and people heard about that and responded. Um, and so we ended up balancing the budget. So we're hoping that we can do that again because our intention is never to decrease the services that people have come to rely on. So Tessa, would running a deficit say that happens? Is that new? Has that happened before? You mentioned you almost did that last year and donors came through. But if it mm-hmm. should happen this year, is that a first? It would be a first for us, yeah, as an organization. Um, and I think, you know, when we think about doing, making sure that all the people that are coming through have the right supports, we also have been, with our announcement of moving to behavior-based entry, um, we've had to increase our training and increase our capacity for staff and uh, make sure that they're all, you know, capable and comfortable using the lock zone. So uh, it does, you know, we are making sure that the service meets the standard of today. Um, and we're lucky, you know, the deficit is looking something like five to $700,000, depending. Um, so we're, we're hopeful once again that donors will come through and that we won't have that experience. But if we did end up having that experience, it would certainly be a first for us. Before we let you go, Tessa, of course, it's an important time of year. It's Passover, Easter. Um, what are you doing this weekend? What's your expectation in terms of what you might see? So we're having a giant Easter meal on Monday. We've actually been preparing for it for over two months. Um, and uh, we're really excited to host people. We're expecting about 700 people for lunch on Monday. And uh, it's, it's a different vibe than our normal meals. Of course, we're doing three meals a day. But for this meal... Um, you know, there's beautiful placemats and decorations and desserts and all of that. And so we're really excited about that for Monday. And we know a lot of our community members are too. Tessa Blakey White Cloud is the CEO of Silo Mission. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Once again, the Stories of Hope Radiothon happens next Friday, April 14th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. on CJOB on Power 97 and Peggy at 99.1. You can get more information at Siloam.ca. And of course, if you'd like to make a donation anytime, Siloam.ca. It's McGarry and McNabb. Mackling's off today. We're asking you to tell us about your favorite Easter candies, Easter chocolates, for a chance to win tickets for Monday Night Raw. And Don always has great stories. This is like a related story. It says, last Sunday morning before I left for work, my wife walked into the kitchen, gave me a huge hug, and thanked me for setting up an Easter egg hunt before I left for two weeks. Only one problem. I had not hidden the chocolate eggs yet. She had found one from <laughs> from last year. And yes, the chocolate, those little tiny mini eggs wrapped in colored tinfoil. The question, Dawn, is did your wife then eat the chocolate? Because if I found the hidden jujube a year later, I had said a couple hours ago, I'd eat it. 
So I want to know if that chocolate was consumed. I would eat it, probably. Why not? Like, yeah. there's not I mean, the worst thing that can happen is it doesn't taste good. Like, yeah. I don't think it's going to cause any issues. I'd have to pry. Yeah, I actually don't know. <laughs> Does chocolate Gastrointestinal go bad? issues. And now I'm, now I'm going to send thousands of people to the hospital <laughs> because I'm encouraging them to eat their year-old Easter candies. I should watch what I say, but I feel like it's fine. <laughs> Easter explosion of E. coli <laughs> in Winnipeg. Thanks, McNabb. Oh. Uh, Lori, and why don't you read Lori's because this weighs in with uh, what was turned out to be one of the big debates of the morning. Yeah, so Lori, we were talking about this at our Hive and Coffee talking segment at 6.45. She said, Easter chocolates, it's all delightful, but nothing better than Hershey Eggies. Wow, especially the new ones, the rainbow Eggies. It's an event. Gotta line them up by color, decide how to tackle. I start with one color, then move my way through. They are so good. And then Brett burst that bu- bubble. <laughs> I said, did, did you? Because <laughs> I don't, I think Lori sent this text independent of our conversation at 645, where we, as, as a, the majority of the panel, not entirely, but as a majority, determined mini eggs superior, eggies inferior. And then Lori said, no. And then the two of you went back and forth and you want to do a taste test and... I think I'm going to. I'm going to bring in the various brands of these Eggies, if there's any left after the bunny comes, and I will blindfold you and Greg and Cam and whoever else, and I want to really know if you can tell. Last time I had Eggies, I noticed it immediately. I was like, oh, that's just not as good. So, I mean, hey, obviously, if you prefer the Eggies, that's cool. (laughs) I'm not saying you're wrong, Um, although I I more or less told Lori. She's wrong. But yeah, that's why she's not the winner either. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. You know what? It, it was, it, this was a close one, but Val just had a really touching story. So why don't you tell us what Val had to say? One of my fondest memories of Easter candy comes from my childhood. Every Easter, my mom would dress my sisters and I in matching Easter dresses, and away we would go to my grandma's house. Once there, we'd have lunch, and then my grandma would come out of the summer kitchen with a great big cardboard box that had the words, McCormick flapper eggs. How I love those milk chocolate marshmallow eggs that were sprinkled with peanuts. We only ever got one each. My absolute favorite. Not only for the taste, but for the beautiful memories. Val, shucks. I don't want to rain on this. That's a beautiful memory, Val, but the the marshmallow. I don't get it. (laughs) I don't get it, Val. Love your story. Love your grandma. Love your mom. Love the dresses you'd wear. Marshmallow, meh. I I concur. On that we can agree. But Val, <laughs> you're going eh? you're going to Monday. All the things we talk about that this whole week. This is where we're ending it. Pretty Marshmallows. Much. Yep. Monday Night Raw. Val, enjoy the tickets. August 14th, Canada Life Center.